SMQB's episode 72. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. What's doing up? Doing well. Doing great, well. great, great, great to see everyone again. We are down one bison host, but uh, we're, we're going to carry on without him. But, for, but first, number 72. This player hails from New Hampshire and played for the mighty UNH Wildcats. Played baseball and basketball. Pudge. He was, his nickname was known as the Commander. Hmm. He was the AL Rookie of the Year in 1972, the first unanimous selection. Oh, this is Carlton Fisk. I said it already. I know he had two nicknames, so I was just trying to trick you. It was an easy one. It's Pudge. But let me uh, know let me finish off. He, he he holds the record, the AL record for most years behind the plate. 24 seasons as a catcher. He was number 27 for the Red Sox. Yes. Where he was an 11-time All-Star, three silver sluggers. And then he went on then they stupidly let him go over to the White Sox in 1981 where he played another 12 years. And had to wear that ridiculous softball uniform, and 27 was taken, so he reversed it and wore number 72 on his softball outfit. So Pudge is probably the best number 72. He was he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in year 2000. Can anyone name the 340 pound blocking back who wore number 72? Refrigerator Perry, baby. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. That's a good one too. <laughs> Uh, we, had, right. we had we had one from our uh, hometown as well here. Too oh, tall. too tall. That's yeah. right. Too tall. Ed, so he too a good tall number. Jones. That's right. He Pope, was good. Not where a Hall did, of Famer. Where did the fridge? I think he should be win a national championship. Clemson. I was asking Pope, but yes, you're right. <laughs> well, this is one of the few college football things I know. About. How did you know that, man? You see, now I know you're cheating. Looking no, at no, I was during my time. Um, yeah, that's so true. Milk. Speaking of college football, Danny Ford was the coach. By the that's way, that's right, baby. Milk. Wow. USC, wow. USC, and UCLA have managed to make college football even less interesting. Milk. What's your take on that? <laughs> I just start following it. <laughs> right. I know. Perfect time for house. Uh, well, we are heading toward. Look, I said this a year ago because you guys were all like we need to pay players and all this stuff. And I was like, well, the, this NIL stuff will destroy college football. It's like, I keep saying it's happening a little bit faster than I thought it would. We are now, and don't think it's all connected to this NIL stuff. We are now probably what a year away from two super conferences. Uh, the big 10 just grabbed the entire Southern California, LA market they get UCLA, USC, uh, Texas, and Oklahoma obviously already on their way to the SEC. And don't think that Arch Man- Texas didn't get Arch Manning because Texas was going into the into the SEC. So we've got two major massive conferences that are going to continue to grow. And so the question is, this is going to be fun to watch because now all these schools are going to start to panic, right? They already you know, are. Notre Dame. If you're Clemson, if you are Miami, if you are Florida State, right now, you've got to be seriously thinking about jumping ship because all of these other conferences, the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, they are, it used to be the power five. Now it's going to be the power two. And the money differential is so big. I mean, the, the money differential between the SEC and the ACC Clemson stands to lose, I mean, Pope, you may know the actual number, but it's tens and tens of millions of dollars by, by choosing to stay in the ACC. So they're going to they're gonna have, have two choices. One, you go to the ACC and you basically say, you better step up, i.e., you better get some big names in here, like pull Notre Dame into the ACC immediately, um, or you jump and you 
you know, you go in Clemson, which obviously is a good fit for, it seems like an SEC school when you think about it, or you go there who will gladly take you. Um, but we're on the verge of two ma- major, major conferences and NACE isn't on the call, but poor Boston college, <laughs> these teams that yeah, BC uh, is out, BC is out, unfortunately, but I mean, recruiting Notre Dame would be crazy not to follow USC and UCLA. Don't you agree? But they're so far, they're indicating they don't want to. There's how are they going to survive as an independent? That's just not doable. Everybody continues to schedule them. Hold on. I am still learning college football. As you know, I just picked a team last week. Thanks. (laughs) You did. Welcome to the SEC, by the way. uh, Pope and milk. Let me ask you this question. So, all right. So it's the 16, like great teams, Join one conference, SEC. Another 16 great teams join the Big Ten. So you've got like 32 of these really powerhouse teams that traditionally dominate the top 25. What happens to the other 160 schools that play college football? They have they have football programs. They have their own exhibitions. They, they, what you just said, they play college football. Yeah, they uh, have. They have. Look, I was with a guy yet. They have weekend. pep squads and, you know, and <laughs> marching he, bands. He's a yeah. big LSU fan. He went to LSU and we, we both kind of said, you know, college football is done. Like the way, the way that we remember college football is over. Done. It's a new, it's a new type of sport, if you will. Um, maybe you could call it some sort of minor league of the NFL. I don't know if that's right, but it's just different now. That's kind of it's like I don't know how to describe it. It's just going to be very different. And here's what here's, the, the nostalgia is gone. Milk. It is. Yeah. You know, Saturday nights in Baton Rouge when you're LSU. You know, is hosting whatever SEC school, Ole Miss or Mississippi State, or uh, it, the, those days are gone. Pope, you don't want to see a Rutgers UCLA Big Ten matchup? <laughs> Not really. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Look, oh, and the Oregon's Oregon and Washington are going to have to join. I mean, they're next. Right, I, I could actually see myself getting a, interested in seeing like these cold weather, you know, real natural grass, big teams finally getting to the point where they can beat the snot out of the SEC. I would love to see that. Still won't happen. But and what does it? You know, you think about the trickle down effect. First of all, by the way, if Florida State is in the SEC. I'm going to vomit. Literally vomit. <laughs> That's They're happening. coming. That's They're happening. coming. And it's coming, and it's disgusting. Um, but what does it mean for like, think about like other sports, basketball, basketball. Now you've got, what about North Carolina, think what about, about North Duke? Carolina, Virginia tech, all these schools, like they're going to be in the sec soon. And now North Carolina is a sec basketball school. That doesn't seem right at all they're, that they'll be playing Kentucky in the sec. Right. As will Duke. But is there, is there a scenario where there's not, an actual NCAA, like, do these just bum rush forward and form their own conference that manages themselves? Because what is the role of the? They NCAA? could call it Live. Yeah, they call it Live. What? I mean, seriously, what is the role of the NCAA? Maybe going forward, Greg Norman will be the commish. By the way, the NCAA is not in charge anymore. You know who's in charge? ESPN. Yeah, and, and Fox. Yeah. Well, that's another that's reason it. why Notre Dame isn't as strong and independent as they once were because back in the day, NBC could guarantee Notre Dame, all the television revenue it needed. NBC is not now like a speck on the wall in the, oh. in the media dollars business. A speck. And I disagree, Rooster. I think if you're, I think Notre Dame's going to cave. They have, I think they have to. No, I do too. I think they're going to the big 10. They have it's, to. It's always been the assumption. It's the it's the perfect fit. What do you uh, predict these but, super conferences do with the uh, number of years that the player has to stay around at these schools? Well, that still well, I, I think is the NCAA. And yeah, it's that's be three gonna, years. I don't think that's going to change. See that that's where I really wonder how how much the NCAA can hold on to this. What do they need the NCAA for? 
Like they decide they they're eventually going to decide their own rules. The money's going to dictate everything. And if these players are like, I'm only going, I, I just, I, it is going in the worst possible direction. It's going basically in the direction of like one year players like college basketball has, there's no reason to follow a team because all you see them is for one year. And there's, you know, just a, a few teams that make a playoff and the rest of it, the bowls are gone. Like you said, the nostalgia is gone. I might well, what, be out. You know, what's going to be interesting is the college football playoff uh, selection deal that they have not been following the uh, conference realignments yet. So they still only have four slots mm. available. And mm. so if you have these massive super conferences and, you know, there's going to have to be some flexibility. I think all these massive super conferences are expecting there to be 12 teams for the college football playoffs. Otherwise, none of this realignment makes sense you have to from a national championship standpoint. Yeah. yeah. There's but, no choice but they, they're still tailing uh, the, the, the movement here because, you know, right now it requires all of the athletic directors and the, the power five or whatever to agree uh, to move, uh, to have more uh, games for the playoffs. Right now, they're not, they're not in agreement. The ACC uh, is, is vetoing it. Yeah. So yeah. what's going to happen with college football playoffs? Yeah. I mean, if, oh. you, if you have two super conferences, with, let's say you have 20 teams in each conference, and basically it's like East and West. I mean, you, you lose the entire identity. The conferences are gone. I think, I think, can't we all agree the conferences are basically gone right now? Well, they Pretty would much. have to be for the playoff system to work. As you've point, but, but the, as you point out. Right. But and you're I mean, talking about the like importance of winning your conference. Yeah. And things like that, where yeah. they'll become, especially if let's say we go to 12 teams or eight teams or whatever, you're going to have six from the SEC. Right. Whereas, and, whereas it used to be, you know, it's slowly gotten, you used to like have to win it. You have to, you used to have to go undefeated. Then you could lose a game. Then you could maybe lose two games and still get in. Maybe early on you could lose. And then maybe, yeah, early out. on. Now you could get into like the NFL where you're like, well, I could, you know, lose four games, five games a year. Or the, or basketball where, you know, you could lose 10 games and go to the final game. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. And it's all, but the problem, look, it's, I, I think the Arch Manning scenario perfectly sums it up. You've got Arch Manning who the, I'm t- the only reason Texas got him in addition to substantial amount of money is because Texas is going into the sec. And I think you're right. Pope, he's going to red shirt, meaning his freshman year, first year is going to be in, in the sec playing against sec competition, which is then push the hand on everybody. If you're, if, if you're sitting there and going, wait a minute, Texas left the big 12 and immediately they got arch Manning. I'm going, get me out of this hellhole of the ACC in terms of football. How do, how does Clemson get, they're going to go to recruits and be like, you know who we play this year? We play Duke, <laughs> Wake Forest, uh, NC Georgia State, Tech. and uh, we're going to be at Wake this year. It's going to be great. I'm All like, 2,500 no. of their students will be there. You're, uh, yeah. and so these schools have to go now. They've got to leave. They've got to get well, out so, of there. I mean, it's no coincidence that Notre Dame's been bragging that they're having one of their best recruiting years ever. I mean, it's the same thing. I think the decision has been made. Let me let me ask you a couple more other questions on the consequences of this. You know, in college basketball, because of the transfer portal and other things that are reshaping college basketball, you're seeing some storied coaches fed up and leaving. Uh, Roy, uh, Jay Wright. Are we going to Coach see K? Coach K? Are we going to see the Sabins? and the storied coaches of college football get fed up with this and walk out on this also? I think in I the think short run, it favors Coach Saban and others like him. And I, so by the time they get fed up with it, they'll probably be ready for retirement. I don't know about anyway. that. I think you saw the fr- – I think Saban thrived before this environment. I think he's mad because it used to be, I thrive because I'm good. I'm a good coach. I have a good game plan. We win games. And now he, you saw it with him and Jimbo going yeah. at it. Now it's a frustration of like, 
mm, it's now money. Like I'm going to throw money in there. I'm still going to get good players because I'm, I'm Nick Saban, but I'm going to lose players that I should have gotten because of money and only money. And that will eventually drive Saban out. Eventually he'll just be like, I don't have time for this anymore. I've done everything I can. Yeah, you could, you could be right about that. And, and then also, you know, most of these schools, even the mid-majors, they're giving out 90-plus football scholarships. And all the NIL money is going to go to these major super conferences. So let's say you're a Duke, which has a stadium that might hold 4,000 seats or whatever. Why are you giving away 90 free scholarships to an institution of that measure when you're going to get absolutely no revenue going forward. There's going to be no TV revenue. You're certainly getting no gate revenue. Like, are we going to start to see some of these schools change the nature of their program or even fold altogether because it's just not profitable? Yeah. Like big time schools, big time schools. Sure. Well, interesting. We'll follow up on this, but uh, let's move on house. We've, we both got pictures of uh, a nasty crash at the at the British Grand Prix, which I think was probably the most exciting Grand Prix race I've seen in three years. What do you think? But shocking, no one's dead. Yeah, unbelievable. Our, our pod has been trying for basically since we've been on to persuade our listeners, if they're on the sidelines, you got to watch F1. If there ever was a race that should get you off the sidelines. The British Grand Prix did it. it. It really had everything. And for those of you who do follow F1, you were treated to an amazing race of the understudies and the British Knight. I mean, what an incredible race. Silverstone, the storied track for the British Grand Prix where so much history occurs. And uh, because of a rainy qualifying it had a, a little bit of an unusual setup that the understudy, as it were, for Ferrari, Carlos Science, was on the pole. And we all were texting before that while he's a great driver, nobody seriously expected Science to have a chance in this race because while Ferrari's a fast car, the best drivers so far have been either his his partner, Charles Leclerc, or Red Bull's drivers, uh, Max Verstappen and Checo. Sergio Perez. Well, the race unfolds and on lap number one, um, one of the drivers, actually a shitty driver for Williams, does a nice move and shoots a gap and gets through. And that leads to another driver for AlphaTauri, Pierre Gasly, thinking he can shoot the gap. But the gap closes because George Russell from Mercedes closes a little bit as the the gap closes a little bit that forces uh, a couple cars to hit one another. And it sends Joe Guan Yu of Alfa Romeo tumbling on the upside down of the car, skidding along the track, scraping along the track upside down, literally, literally burning through the tarmac, a rut into the tarmac. Yep. And then flipping over into the fencing, which is the last chance between the car and the fans. And they wouldn't even show it for about 10 minutes because I don't think anybody knew what was the outcome of Guan Yu. And ultimately, we found out that he was okay. And the halo that they added, which was kind of a a large bar that is above the driver's head, um, saved his life. It was insane. When was that added, House? Do you know? I don't know when when that was added. I mean, but it's been there, I think, since we started watching in like 19, maybe. Yeah. Definitely before then. But, I mean, it absolutely saved his life. And There after- were early complaints from the drivers, I remember, because it cuts down a little bit on visibility. I mean, there's there's a bar right in front of their face, right in front of their nose. It was- so I'm watching. I'm watching the... Uh, Drive survive from last season, and you remember when Max's wheel went right over Lewis's halo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So they have a there's a quote from Toto, and you guys have seen it. Toto is like, you know, originally I was against the halo, but it saved Lewis's life. 
Wow. So, you know, they're all for the hell out of Good Schwarzenegger, Pope. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, want, I want Pope Toto for episode 73. But what transpired after that drama was an insane race because um, while Leclerc and his uh, so so what was interesting from that crash is it leads it leaves like a lot of shrapnel essentially on the tarmac and going around one of the turns a piece of carbon that was left over um got into max verstappen's tire and punctured that but then after he came back out uh it was clear that there was something wrong with the body of his car it turned out to be the floor so the 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 leader of the whole f1 dropped back in the pack to like eighth or ninth became a non-entity in the race. And that made room for a lot of excitement. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. At the same time, (laughs) the other Red Bull driver who also was caught up in some of this Sergio Perez, who's a great driver had his wing and nose damage. So they had to replace his entire thing. And that takes time. Yeah. That was a slow pit stop, slow pit. By the time he came out of that, he was back in the pack in 17th place because three three cars were already out. He was in dead last of the remaining cars. And then we all watched as Checo moved up the pack from 17th as Leclerc and uh, science fought it out. And then who should show up on the scene, but the country's favorite son on the home track, Sir Lewis Hamilton. And uh, it was, it was amazing. Uh, Charles had it in control on lap 36. It looked like he was going to, going to win it going away. And then the next thing you knew, um, Esteban Ocon's car broke down on lap 41, 42. And we, the, there's only 52 laps in this race. The last 10 laps of this race, if you can somehow find it, listeners, that you've never watched, just watch these 10 laps of racing and I promise you will be hooked. It was the most incredible wheel-to-wheel racing with multiple overtakes. And the end, science in his 150th race got his first win. The guy on the pole wins. Um, Checo moves from 17th to second, takes second, and uh, Sir Lewis takes third. And Charles Leclerc, who was left out after that stop, when all the cars were allowed to come in and switch to tires with better grip on the track, Charles was left out on the track. That Ferrari had a 10 seconds to make that decision, 10 seconds. And in that 10 seconds, they screwed it up, left him out there on hard tires. And that's the reason he was off the podium out of the top three. I, I mean, it was just an incredible, incredible drama, incredible strategy, incredible accident, incredible, uh, you know, homeboy Lewis coming through. It was just an awesome race. It was. It was. Pope, you know what I loved also, like, and I don't know if they knew it at the time, but I love that these protesters came out on the oh track. Oh, my God. And I'm like, do they now oh. they... They were doing it while they were going into pit, right? But like, yeah, did they know flag. that, or they were like, "I'm gonna just sit out here" because they would have been absolutely destroyed by these cars going 200 miles an hour. It's like, That's, oh my god, what are you doing? Yeah, that was crazy, crazy, crazy. Pope, I want to switch to NBA and uh, do a little point counterpoint with you because uh, we we were going to talk about winners and losers post um, draft. We don't quite. No, yet. I mean, we we have some interims, but we don't know yet. Yeah, but one, a couple of the teams. Uh, one it was at one time a team that we were associating with you, the Nets, <laughs> and you, and you you had some strong comments about the Timberwolves. So I'm going to throw two things out there and and see what you think. I think the Nets are in a deep load of shit because they trusted superstars to basically run their team and make their manage managerial decisions with the thought that these guys are so good that we are going to be contenders for a very long time. Draft picks won't matter, blah, blah, blah. And these guys did to the, did to the nets, what they're, they tend to do these days and up and left them or, or in the process of leaving them. And so the nets, paid KD a full year to play to, to not play knowing that he had to rehab his leg. They waited patiently for him. 
They brought in Kyrie when he said, bring in Kyrie. They fired their coach, Kenny Atkinson, when he and Kyrie said, fire the coach. We want Steve Nash, who's never coached a little league basketball game in his life, let alone an NBA game. They overpaid for DeAndre Jordan because uh, Kyrie and, and, and KD wanted DeAndre Jordan, who was completely at the end of his career and, and wasn't worth probably a third of what they paid for him. And then they brought in a world-renowned tanker, James Harden. Oh, here we go. So in exchange for James Harden, they gave Houston their 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026, and 2027 first-round draft picks. That's five. So five first-round draft picks for Harden. Harden's gone. Kyrie wants to leave and go to the Lakers, and KD is demanding a trade. And the Nets can't even tank because if they stink, Houston gets all the draft picks. They're completely fucked, and there's nothing they can do about it. Am I wrong? Not completely. Uh, The the one thing that I'm reading, though, is that if there's going to be a deal for KD, that the the Rockets are going to be part of that three-team trade so they can get some of uh, their own picks some back. of their picks back um, in order to make that work. Uh, okay. But you're not wrong. I mean, the, if, the Nets, I mean, you know, we talked about this at length, but, you know, except for one little inch of shoe size for KD, they would have won the championship uh, a couple years ago. And who knows what the story would have been written at that point. But now they've blown up and you get the prima donnas demanding trades. I mean, nobody wants Kyrie. There was some discussion about him going to the Lakers for Westbrook, but you know, cancer for cancer, and nobody wants nobody wants Westbrook coming back on that. Um, so the Nets are kind of stuck. And, and then, was it Kyrie finally opted in right as right as as he did that? KD said, "I want out." Yeah, what does that tell you about Kyrie? KD is like, I can't play with this guy ever again. Kyrie has now done it to the Celtics. He's done it to the Nets. And, and what GM in, in their right mind to the Cavs, what GM in their right mind is going to say, ah, fourth team's going to be a charm. He's not going right. to do it to me. Don't be an idiot. I'm, I'm stopping idiots. Praying that it's not the Mavs, although right now they're desperate to, you know, make up for losing Brunson. And there's some discussion about Kyrie coming here. There's some discussion about going to hit him going to the Timberwolves. And I'm, I know that the, the, the popular point of view right now is the Timberwolves crushed it by getting Rudy Gobert. I, I take the opposite approach. Again, they gave up five first-round draft picks from 2023 to 2029 and five players, including Jared Vanderbilt, who is a really, really good young power forward, for a center after they already signed their center Carl Anthony Towns to a big deal. So now there have been two centers. I'm sorry. There have been three centers in the history of the league who have signed $200 million contracts. Two of them currently play for the Timberwolves, Cat and Rudy Gobert. Yeah, but Cat's going to play the four. Yeah, but if you Gobert's think about going to play the five. Think and about Anthony Edwards, who's a beast, is going to bring the ball up. He's 20 years old. And these guys, Gobert is 30. They need to win now. And so you have to ask yourself, if this is a good deal, does that means the Timberwolves are going to be in the championship series this year and next year? I don't think so. I mean, if you look back at um, every one of the Celtics, Warriors games, all I'll tell you what, the Suns are a better example. Who was sitting on the bench at the end of the Suns games in the playoffs, eight DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton. Centers are no longer even in the game at the end of big playoff games. So yeah, Gobert is going to make them a better in-season team, but he's not going to be on the court at the end of the game in the playoffs because he can't score. He's an offensive liability, and I just I just don't think you can give up five years worth of number one picks and five of your players for an offensive liability. I, I, I agree. Dis- I agree a hundred thousand percent, and I, I I don't get it, guys. I I really 
think you see who the champion is and then you figure out a way to beat the champion. The champion is the Golden State Warriors. They have plenty of young talent still and they win playing small ball. They it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're defending the interior against Golden State. What is Rudy Gobert going to do against Golden State? What has he done? Nothing. He can't defend um, anywhere out outside of the paint. Right. So if that's if if the if the championship goes through San Francisco and the Warriors, then what what did the Minnesota do? I agree with you a hundred thousand percent. What you're going to see is fifty five to sixty regular season wins from Minnesota next year, and they're going to get smoked in the conference semifinals or even the second round by small ball. Yep. All right, so who thinks that recent moves, uh, what, what teams do you think or players do you think fall under the winner category post-draft, um, uh, post-NBA draft? I'll start with my first pick, the Celtics. Celtics were the number two team in the league last year. They lost to the Warriors in the championship game, and they had – their biggest problem was they had only seven guys in the rotation and their two stars were exhausted by game four or five of the Golden State series. They wound up getting Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo um, without losing any of their core seven guys. So now they have nine people they could rotate in and if Brogdon stays healthy, that's not a great big splash of a deal. But for a team that's already a, you know, a couple of games away from being world champs, to me, that's a winner. Anyone else got a winner? Is it enough? Is it enough for them to win the championship next year over Golden State? What to have given up? A bunch of nobodies for Malcolm Brogdon and, and Danilo? Sure, yeah, that's enough. All right, I'll throw out another winner because of the Nets, the Rockets. The Rockets have now ja- drafted Jalen Green and Jabari Smith back-to-back and have five first-round picks from the well, Nets. They got, and they got a bunch of second-round picks from the Mavs yeah. for yeah. Christian Wood yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. this year's first round. So, yeah, I mean, they're definitely, you know, they're, they're almost like the Astros. You know, I remember how bad the Astros were for beginning of the teens. They were horrible. Lost more games than any other team during like three or four years in a row, and then they were stocking up, and then they came on, and, you know, now they look where they are. I mean, the Rockets are going under the same premise. I, I would say the winner, because I haven't seen any team that's built themselves to be a strong contender is the uh, the Warriors, just by standing pat. And well, they, they did lose guys Peyton. are coming. They, they, lose, did, they, they lost Peyton, lose Peyton and Otto Porter, but that's, yeah, not, but that's not huge. Yeah, they're fine. Well, and they have Wiseman and what the other guy coming in. What? Well, they may be tra- trading him uh, and Wiggins and somebody else for KD. No, no, God, can you imagine? Been, I don't want to. I don't want to see that. I really don't want to see KD yeah, back yeah. to the Warriors. So, so how about Zion Williamson playing eighty-five games in three years? And and still managing to sign a five-year, two hundred thirty-one million-dollar contract extension with the Pelicans. I loaded, actually loaded with incentives. Though. He's he's, he's a winner, but I actually think the city of New Orleans is a winner too because he's a great guy. He's a, he he has tremendous talent, and they're building something great there. I just really hope that it works out. Yeah, he'll be well, a great assistant coach someday. Doesn't hope. Don't you have him out of the league in three years? He does. That's what I said. He's going to be a great assistant coach. He just won't put the money on it. That's this is right. your you, chance. Yeah, you. I know national you audience. Two hundred million. I think the Pelicans are in the top five of the West next year. I think they have a potential big three in McCollum, Brandon Ingram. And Zion, yes, it depends on his health. I have big question marks about the max contract to Darius Garland for the Cleveland Cavs. I'm not sure he's earned that. I actually think the Knicks took a step in the right direction. I know there was discussion last week on our pod about whether the Mavs could keep Jalen Brunson. Knicks, I think, made a smart signing. Some people question the amount that they gave him. But I think, you know, having 
they were in the playoffs, had an exciting series against Atlanta two years ago, and then they shit the bed this past year. I think Jalen Brunson puts the Knicks back in the Eastern playoffs. They're, they need some more steps, but I think that was a solid addition. That's not hard. If you're 500, you get in the a- – Anybody eight, want nine, Evan ten, Fournier? Yeah. Evan Fournier, anyone? But the Sixers, um, a lot of people aren't talking about their moves, but if you have – some core pieces and what you need are the final pieces, the gritty people for the playoffs. The Sixers made some quiet moves that I think may really help them next year in the playoffs. They needed some grit. They got it in PJ Tucker. They need, they got some defense, some three and D players in uh, DeAnthony Melton from Memphis, this guy, Daniel house uh, house. I'll be getting house. that Jersey and Trevor. I mean, they got some nice little pieces. I like what the Sixers did with those small, smaller signings. I just didn't like the Darius Garland with the Cavs at all. I agree with you on the Sixers. It reminds me of the Celtics moves. I think the key to the Sixers next year is which James Harden shows up at the beginning of the year. Totally agree. Fat and out of shape, James Harden, or somebody who's committed to winning. Totally agree. Um, Pope. 30 seconds on Wimbledon. <laughs> well, that's five of them with your guttural laugh. <laughs> Keep laughing, guys. <laughs> okay, Pope, 20 seconds on 20 Wimbledon. 20 seconds on Wimbledon. <laughs> so, so Wimbledon, I mean, the most uh, exciting stuff is ahead of us. Uh, the men's semis uh, already have the Joker in there. And we talked about earlier, you know, when texting, uh, he was down two sets to love, which is for him at Wimbledon is, I don't know, that never happens. But yet he came back and he won uh, in, in five sets. He won three, two, and two. So, you know, was he playing rope-a-dope or I, I don't know. But obviously uh, he didn't have any problems in the in the final three sets. Um, you know, one of the intriguing matches tomorrow is going to be uh, Taylor Fritz from the U.S. finally making the quarterfinals. It's been a while since we've been in the quarters. Uh, up against Rafa. Um, Fritz has got the kind of game. He's a big server. Uh, he's got the kind of game that could give Rafa some problems, but I don't see Rafa losing to him. Uh, Kyrgios, uh, is an interesting story. Toby, we were talking about how crazy that guy is. Uh, his match against, against Cipitas was unbelievable. Um, uh, the, you know, Cipitas he probably should have tomorrow. Should have yeah. been. What's that? Isn't he going to like court tomorrow? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, goes? He's yes. going to be the first player in the history of Wimbledon to be escorted off the court in handcuffs. <laughs> I think he's going to be arrested. Is, in it, the next is, seven, hours. is a is a Bobby going to come and take him away? I think so. <laughs> but uh, he he's he's in the quarterfinals uh, against another unseated guy. Um, you know, I guess the story of the men's is that Rafa and the Joker appear to be on a collision course in the final, not the quarters this time, but in the final. Uh, one, two, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll uh, have another Titanic uh, clash on our hands if that's the case. That's a must-see TV. Don't know how many more times this might happen. Uh, as far as the women go, um, most the, the story there is most of the top seeds are long gone. You have a third seed uh, who I've never even heard of, Ubar, um, and the 16th is the Seventeenth and the twentieth seed, who is interesting because she's American, uh, Anna Samova. So um, I don't know who's going to win uh, the women's. It's wide open uh, this year. What happened to um, Goff? Coco, Coco? Goff. Coco yeah, lost, Coco? Uh, lost. round of thirty-two. I think yeah, early. Yeah, and then Rafa, Serena lost. In her Rafa's first match. still got a chance for the slam if he pulls this off. That's he right. does. That's right. But gosh, you know, beating the Joker on your home court really which is what clay is for rafa is one thing but taking the joker down on grass is another thing um i'd love to see it i mean and then you've got rafa at the u.s open the uh the the possibilities are there still but i don't know i i still think it's it's rafa joker and you know i think joker wins this match i hate to say it but i'd I'd like to see rafa win i agree you know, it was nice to see, and I don't know the last time this happened, but I think we, so we had four American men in the round of 16, only one advanced, uh, one of those African-American, uh, TFO, right. He's from Maryland. He almost won that match, by the way, went five sets. That guy's good. Keep an eye on him. 
And then uh, there was a, a Asian American Nakashima. Uh, both they lost, and they actually they both went five sets uh, and lost. But it was it was uh, maybe there's something going on with American Some hope men's for American tennis. men's tennis. I don't know. Doubt, doubtful. Doubtful. Don't hold your yeah. breath. Yeah. Doubtful. Don't hold your breath. As long as the as long as the Joker and Rafa reign, it'll be man. hard to get somebody. I would there. love this. I'd love this kid to win tomorrow. That would be cool. Let's uh, let's interject a little uh, excitement into this program. Anyone have a punchable face? Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Cool J with a triumphant comeback. More But tonight, don't call it a comeback. I have a punchable face. Uh, I might have to hide after it. All of us might have to hide, but there is a hockey player named Ivan Fedotov. He is a standout goalie. He's 25 years old. Last year, he won the equivalent of the Stanley Cup in the KHL, the Russian NHL, uh, for the Moscow Club. And the Philadelphia Flyers own the rights to uh, Fedotov having drafted him some years ago and they've been keeping an eye on him. He, he won a silver medal for Russia in the last Olympics. He just uh, was the goalie for the championship. He's in the final three this year for the equivalent of the Vezina trophy over in Russia, you know, has an under 2.0 goals against average gaudy, great gaudy numbers. So in April, he says he's going to be leaving the KHL to play for the flyers in May. They flyers actually sign him. Well, last week, while Ivan Fedotov was home and leaving a practice facility, he was about to get in his car when a Russian van with a bunch of military folks uh, rolled up, jumped out of their van, came to to school, came to his car and arrested him. They arrested him as a draft dodger and roughed him up. Ultimately, there's video of them grabbing him. And then later on, uh, he had to be taken in the ambulance because presumably of how they roughed him up. And now it's entirely possible he's going to be serving for the Russian army against Ukraine. So this is what we were talking about long ago about there was an argument about what whether we should uh, let these Russian players uh, play in the NHL. This is what happens when you go home. They asked, they actually asked Ovechkin if he had any comment on Fedotov, and he basically deliberately ignored it. He's like, Why we don't have to talk about that? Right. Like, I if you are a Russian player and you go home this year in the NHL and you go home, there are no guarantees you are coming back. And for that, if I can just say softly, I'm punching the Russians. Right, they're listening to us. By yeah. the way, that shows you how well the uh, the campaign's going for them when you have to draft NHL players into your army. Well, like, really, not only that, but if you are a young Russian athlete and you have half a brain, first of all, you're not going to get married and have kids. You're going to go. You're going to come to the United States. You're going to play hockey and never go back. Don't ever go back. It's so sad. crazy to go back I'm, there. I'm not a. If I see Vasilevsky or Kucherov get on a plane to Russia, I'm stopping that plane. They should never leave. And and no. speaking of the rotten Russians, I still want to punch the American sports media for ignoring Brittany Griner. Yeah, I I, I swear if this was um, LeBron James or KD held prisoner in Russia. You would be seeing 24-hour-a-day coverage on ESPN about this crisis, and basically they throw up a picture of Brittany Griner every couple of days on their websites and then are silent about it. She needs to be brought back, and we need to be pressuring our government and Russia every single minute of every day to do it. She just wrote this heartbreaking letter to President Biden saying, please don't forget about me. I'm terrified that I'm never going to leave this place. Is she having a trial? 
or yeah, yeah it's going on to kangaroo court and no trial. Actually, yeah. her best hope, I think, is, is to be convicted quickly now so that she could be part of a deal soon. Right. Yeah. They're going to want too much for her, though. Yeah, they yeah. want it. They want some mass murderer released right. for a freaking basketball player. Right. They're, they're insane. Awful. Barbecue sauce. Awful. All right. Um, we have a uh, video mailbag lasso oh. from our. Wow. Canadian correspondent Paul Miller. Hopefully this works. If it doesn't, our apologies to the listeners, and I have a uh, another lasso I could do. God, I okay. didn't know I was going to hear from Miller today. Hey, yeah, okay. Made my Monday, so Tuesday. Here it comes. I think I'm going to be able. Holy to... shit! Did wow, he, there he is. Did he there electrocute he himself? Yeah, he's, video? he's got his What's toe in a light socket. There, oh my come on, he's got leave leave Moose Jaw alone. He's got a feel good story here. Here it comes. Hey, SMQB listeners, this is Moose Jaw from Toronto, Ontario, your hockey analyst and correct predictor of the winner of the Stanley Cup, the Colorado uh, Avalanche, ugh. in the 2021-2022 season. Uh, I'm just here to give a shout-out to the San Jose Sharks for hiring Mike Greer as their next general manager. Uh, Mike becomes the first African-American to hold such a position in the NHL. Uh, huge step for hockey. Uh, great step for the Greer family that has a legacy in sports from the father down to the brother who is the Dolphins GM. And I understand uh, another relative, Rosie Greer, is part of that lineage. So great day for the Greers. Great day for San Jose. Great day for hockey. See, uh, see you in the new season. Good right. job, Moose Jaw. Good job. Good job. Right. I have a question. I have a question for Milk. Do you know who Rosie Greer is? <laughs> no. One of the greatest defensive linemen in the history of the NFL played for the Rams. Did he and, play? Did and he the play Giants. From 1962 to yeah, 1960. Yeah, he played around and, those times. Okay. And the Giants. I mean, and, come on. Did he play for he the also Cowboys? Was what? He was an actor too. He was bodyguard for Robert Kennedy. Mm. Wow. He was there when he was shot. He was there when he was okay. shot in LA. Yeah. yeah. But that's well, a, that that's a, a that's a real good story for hockey to have yep. a, a black GM. That that's really good progress. Well, it's about freaking time, but yeah, it is. Yeah, that's crazy. Anything else? Did you have a lasso also, Rooster? Oh, do you want me to do it? I mean, we were kind of in in under the wire here i thought we would finish quickly but i've got a short one. Oh no here he goes i have a short pope, one too i got a pope, shout out pope, after pope this. this is one especially for you it's tennis oh, <laughs> oh boy. him van rehoven from the netherlands was a month before wimbledon was ranked 205 in the world and had never won a um, main draw match win in his seven-year career in in June of this year, he he started to rattle off eight straight wins. He beat three top seeds, including the world's number one player Medvedev, and got as far as the final sixteen in uh, Wimbledon, and only to be knocked out by the Joker. But it was a huge, you know, dark horse turn a career around moment for this guy. Um, he's had lots of injuries in his earlier career and had some, you know, psychological stuff where he would beat himself up and get embarrassed when he made a mistake. And he's managed to get over all of that, get a new coach. And he may, he may, uh, keep this train rolling. He may be, a, we may see him playing in the, in the big, uh, matches coming this up. Is, this is from Finland. He's from the Netherlands. Uh, from Netherlands. Netherlands. He, Netherlands. Yeah. He is, he is the Dutch Ryan Zimmerman. Yes. It's exciting. Yeah. Okay. So he'll get at least two or three more lassos. Yeah, I please. can't wait. <laughs> that right. I, I've got a light lasso. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a golf clap? It's like it's a like, yeah, it's what's the, the Juwan Howard Juwan Howard hug? It's what's a spanky the, lasso. It's the equivalent. It's a I, golf clap. It's a golf have clap. You, I can't stop watching the video of of Joey Chestnut eating 80 <laughs> hot dogs and 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 then this protester comes out and he he doesn't know what's going on. The guy's gonna kill him or something, chokes him out. Meanwhile, his 
<laughs> he's got 15 hot dogs in his mouth. <laughs> if you haven't seen the video, it's the funniest thing. That's ever. awesome. He goes on to win it. I think he ate 63. Shout out to that guy. He is a legend in the hot dog. Look, he got disrupted by this protest. This disrupted PETA protest. and he, he didn't give a beat. Yeah, but he probably lost about five or six dogs. You're right. He could add 70. He could add 70. He, he still and, beat his closest. And he had a ruptured tendon in his foot, which because he was on crutches. So not only, you know, imagine trying to stuff all that shit in your mouth a, and you got to beat off a PETA <laughs> protester. You're and you still get 63 uh, dogs. Are you saying he's a, are you saying he's a real Iron Man of an <laughs> athlete? I, this could be a jump the shark moment. <laughs> really. <laughs> Oh, my God. We miss you, Bison. Come back soon, please. <laughs> yes, Bison. <laughs> Love, Love it. Boys. Love it. All right, guys. Good show. See you for 73. <laughs> Late. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I... SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.